So we are jumping into uh, Endgame Part 4, and uh, just in case uh, you're, it's your first time here and you're not familiar uh, with what's been going on, we started a series a couple weeks ago called The Endgame, Exposed by Jesus, and it is, uh, we're taking several weeks to look at the detailed teachings of Christ uh, and Scripture about what we traditionally call the end times or the end game. Uh, and there is a significant amount uh, that Jesus gives us both in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation uh, and scattered all throughout the New Testament about the end game, about what direction things would go in life and society and culture. Uh, there is significant warning and caution. There's a lot of uh, wisdom given to us in this, and there's a lot of challenge given to us in this. And so as we've kind of gone through this, uh, God's just been doing some really, really, really cool things. Uh, and I'm, I, I want to go ahead and warn you, today we're hopping all the way into Revelation. We're just going to get right into the Re book of Revelation. And there's a struggle sometimes with the book of Revelation uh, because there seems to be at first glance, especially if you're not familiar with it, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some seemingly weird things happening. And, and this is the truth. It's weird. There's some weird things happening. It's not, it's not uh, abnormal, especially if you, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, if you don't have a lot of experience with Scripture, you know, if, if you hop into Revelation, I never recommend that's where you start, ever. Just, you know, but there's some things that might not make sense. But after a, a little bit of clarification, uh, and even maybe just a few things that I'm about to say right now, the truth is, uh, there's, there's nothing outlandish. There's nothing insane. There's nothing crazy. And though there seems to be a lot of confusion around uh, Revelation, around the end times, in reality, in Scripture, there's not a lot of confusion at all. In fact, there's none. Uh, a lot of the confusion exists because when we tend to, as, as humans do, we tend to go past what's written in Scripture, uh, and we start uh, you know, adding theories and thoughts, and over time, we forget that some of the things that we added to Scripture were just our opinions and our thoughts, and then we begin to teach them and lay them out as if the Bible actually teaches those things clearly, and they don't. And so this is where, in, in the church world, where a lot of confusion comes in, and then as I mentioned, uh, you know, there, there's several big name books and movies and, that are that are a fiction. They're not real, and there's some truth in it. But then there's a lot of entertainment factor in it. And you would be shocked at the amount of American uh, modern church people whose entire theology of the end times comes from a movie they watched created by Hollywood. And so I, I really want you guys to to join with me in my heart through this series, and that is to look at only what Scripture teaches and not add a single thing to it, and not take anything away from it, all right? There's power in that. I know only one person loves the Bible in here, and everybody else is just sitting there, <laughs> but I promise you there's power in God's Word. God gave us just enough, just enough. Hey, we have exactly everything that we need, and yeah, it might be fun to sit around and guess who's going to be the Antichrist. It might be fun to go, who's going to take over the world and kill millions of people? If you think that's fun, you go do that with you and yours. But the, the heart of what I want you to understand is there's real wisdom, there's real knowledge, and there's extreme real clarity if we would just let the word of God speak to us. Amen? Amen. And so I wanna, I wanna do that today. And um, as we get in here, we're gonna, we're gonna jump right to Revelation 13. And uh, the heart of what I, I, I wanna do is as I prayed about this, I truly struggled over the last week or two how we were going to introduce Revelation, how we were going to uh, jump into it. And 
I still believe as, as I've been studying through this, just the way the Lord has opened it up for me, I, I think there's a lot of power in really looking at the setup pieces to what is traditionally known as the tribulation. Um, and just for everyone who, who didn't grow up in church, and, and I'm telling you, there's people that grew up in church and never missed a Sunday and still don't know a ton about Revelation, so don't ever feel like you're behind because you're not. Uh, but the tribulation is, is traditionally known as a seven-year period of time uh, where there is a, a significant amount of, of uh, tension and disaster and chaos that will come upon the whole world and we are going to look in detail at this time period. But there is a lot of things that start to happen long before the tribulation ever comes to pass. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in really looking at the scripture and looking at the major players and looking at the major events that kind of rise up and begin to take place prior to that. And I think if we can have an understanding of that, then as we go through and teach about the tribulation and look at other parts in Revelation, we'll have a greater understanding of those things. And so that's what I want to continue to do today. And we're going to look at the rise of the Antichrist. And the reason why I believe that the rise of the Antichrist falls in the category of, of, of expansion or coming to place prior to the tribulation is because the Bible is very clear that in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist declares himself God and fully reveals himself, which means that his rise to power comes long before the tribulation begins. And so what is so unique about the Antichrist, and if you don't know who the Antichrist is, the Antichrist uh, is uh, the most traditional dominant name for a world leader that will come onto the scene at the end times and will take full control of the world, will eventually declare himself God, and people have the decision to worship him or die or be outside of the economic system and starve to death. There will be a significant amount of hatred towards God. There will be a, a literal war and slaughter against Jews, Israel, and all Jesus followers. And uh, he will bring the whole world into significant global war and eventually uh, will even challenge Jesus Christ himself. And so that, that's who the Antichrist is. Uh, throughout Scripture, there's 25 different names for him. Uh, some of the more common ones are the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, uh, the man of perdition. Um, he is the most evil, wicked guy. He would make uh, Adolf Hitler look like a Muppet baby. All right, I, I, I want us to understand the character of this man. He is going to be deeply, deeply wicked, utterly controlled uh, and possessed by demonic spirits and Satan himself. Uh, so this, this is who the Antichrist is. But the rise of the Antichrist is actually given to us in Revelation chapter 13, given to us in significant detail. And so this is what I want to look at today so that we can understand. And, and I, I want to, each week, I want to try to address things in, you know, in our hearts and in our minds. There is a, there is a part of, of all of us, I think, that, are, that, that may have this, this kind of underneath undertone of, you know, how is this going to affect my day-to-day -day life? Like, this is great. You know, Jordan, this is awesome. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting, and, and, and I love God's word even, but, you know, how is it tomorrow? I've still got to work. I've still got to, you know, raise my family. I've still got to do these things. You know, how is this 
going to help me there. And what I, what I want you to understand before we get into this is that Jesus believed that this would add significant value to your life. When Jesus taught this to his disciples, it was on the Wednesday before he died. And I believe him understanding and knowing that he is two days away from arrest and trial and crucifixion and death and everything's gonna shift and everything's gonna change, that he saved what was most important for those last few days and the end time and the, the coming, the second coming and the discussion on the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist as Jesus goes through this in Matthew 24 and in other places in the gospel, all of, those, the, the, all of that conversation took place on the Wednesday before his death. He believed that this was crazy important for your life. He also gives you parables that really reflect on your day-to-day -day life. We'll actually get into one today. He also adds in Revelation a, a very special blessing to the book of Revelation. He says, those who simply read this book will be blessed. Those who hear this book will be blessed, and those who obey this book will be blessed. And so I want you to understand there is deep spiritual and practical, powerful advantages to being aware and knowing and understanding what the Bible teaches on these things. And specifically today, I believe that this is going to be so important to our lives because it is going to give you wisdom. It is going to let you understand the direction the world will go. It's going to let you understand the direction specifically world governments will go. And despite all of us born with that Braveheart mentality, there's nothing we can do to stop it, all right? I know there's some people, and I love you, and you even go to our church, and I know exactly who you are. Please don't raise your hand. But you're just waiting on us to get attacked so you can go rogue, okay? Like, you're just, you're living for that moment, right? You've got a bunker under your house. You've got all kinds of weapons and food, and you're ready to roll. Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? But despite that kind of that American mentality that we have, there's nothing that we're going to be able to do that's going to stop the direction things are going. This is one of the most dominant practical things that, that I believe can come into our life is that we could spend our lives fighting against what Christ said is going to happen no matter what, or we can spend our lives doing and living for Christ and doing the things that he asked us to do while this is happening. And so that's what I want you to really pay attention to this morning because we actually get a look at the direction the world will go specifically around governments. Revelation 13. Then I saw a beast. All right, I'm gonna stop right there. I need you to understand what you're about to read is gonna be weird. But I want you to understand what is happening. John, the way that Jesus revealed all of this to John, it says that on the Sabbath day, John was in the spirit. John, on a Sabbath day, John had committed his day to prayer and to worship and seeking the Lord. And in the middle of that day, uh, at some point during the day, that God opened up the spirit world to him, that there is just as much a spiritual world as there is a physical world. And there are times when God, in, in the way that he does it, opens up our minds to some of those realities. And that's what happened to John on this day. And Jesus began to speak to him. And God gives him visions of certain things. But every single vision that he gets is explained in detail. And so I don't, there's no guessing involved. What we're gonna see first, it's a vision, and then there's explanations for that vision. And so I, I want you to understand that what we're about to read is not literal, but it teaches literal reality, if that makes sense. So I don't think we need to be sitting around waiting for an actual beast to rise up out of the sea. 
This is a vision that God is giving John and then explain to him in detail about what this means. So as we read this, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar with Revelation, yes, it's weird, but there is literal explanations for what we see. And I just felt like when you see, then I saw a beast right there. I felt like we just needed that, just for some of us. Maybe not all of us, but for some of us. Then I saw a beast with 10 horns and seven heads rising out of the sea. There were 10 royal crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. The beast I saw was like a leopard with the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. So the the two things that I want you to see here before we get into the the government conversation that is taught here is that it says the dragon gave this beast his power and his throne and his great authority. We went in detail two weeks ago, we went in detail about Revelation 12, which teaches about the role of the dragon, who says very specifically that that in Revelation 12, that the dragon is Satan, is the ancient serpent from the Garden of Eden, and is the devil. He goes out of his way to make sure that we all know that Revelation 12 is speaking of Satan, and that what the biggest thing that I want you to remember from that uh, message is that Satan was cast out of heaven after the cross of Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus. He fell way before that. I've got a million emails. What I taught that day was that he was cast out of heaven. He no longer had a place in heaven because of the victory of Jesus. The authorities and the powers were disarmed by the victory of Jesus Christ. He was then cast to the earth. He no longer has access to heaven. And now things have changed for him. And he, from that day, he's began trying to bring about a, the world into sin and to bring the, uh, the world into a one world government that will ultimately worship him and not God. And uh, the Bible teaches that he's been doing that with vengeance and rage and anger and power from the day that he lost his place in heaven. Does that make sense? Right before Revelation 13 ends, it says, and the dragon stood by the sea. And so uh, the dragon is what raises up the Antichrist or this this beast. And he gives the beast all of his power and his uh, throne and his authority. So he gives significant power and authority to this beast who rises up out of the sea. Now, this is the thing that I want you to understand. This is the first statement that I I really want you to gather. And I'm going to show you why I'm going to say this. The Antichrist rises up out of a unified 10-nation government system. That is is where the Antichrist comes from. It comes from a 10-nation unified government system. That's what is going to take place. And I'm gonna show you why uh, that, that is evidently clear here. There is another vision that God gives Daniel in the book of Daniel. God actually gives Daniel visions of every world government from Daniel's time all the way up until now. And just so you'll understand the accuracy of Daniel's visions that God gave him and the explanations that were given to Daniel that he wrote down, he predicted uh, the rise, the fall of of King Cyrus. He predicted the rise of Alexander the Great uh, 
uh, perfectly. The rise of Greece said that Alexander the Great, this leader would rise up out of Greece, uh, that he would take over almost all the known world, that he would die young, and that his kingdom would be split in four pieces. That was given to him, and he wrote that down hundreds of years prior to Alexander the Great in Greece doing exactly what Daniel said that he would do. Uh, God gave Daniel multiple visions about multiple governments and multiple seasons of history, all the way up to the Roman Empire with distinct detail, uh, and then the birth of the church and God's kingdom on this earth. Uh, and then in another vision, he gets a, a, a duplicate, these four different kingdoms, but there's this fourth kingdom that Daniel finds significantly odd, and he asks for details about this kingdom. And then God gives him those exact details, and it is 100% the exact same vision and the exact same beast that John sees. And I want, to, I want us to see that explanation uh, in the book of Daniel. Start with verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 23. And so he asked, I want to know about the fourth beast. I want to know about that kingdom because it is so unique and it was driving Daniel nuts. And so he asked God for this, and the angel gave him this extreme detail. This is what he said. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. So he says this kingdom is the first kingdom that's going to take over the whole world by the end of it. He says, and, then, uh, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom, and after them another king, different from the earlier ones, will rise and subdue three kings. He will speak. So this, this, one, this leader, this other king that takes over three, he will speak out against the Most High, oppress the saints of the Most High, intending to change the appointed times and laws. Those are the laws of worship. And the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years. This is without doubt speaking about the last kingdom, speaking about the, the kingdom of the Antichrist, and he gives us a significant detail. He says that there are 10 kings with 10 nations that are gonna rise up together, unified together. There's gonna be a 10-nation unified government system that rises up from the earth. Those first 10 kings, those first 10 kings, none of them are the Antichrist. And I'll back that up even further in just a second. It says that there is an 11th king that actually subdues three of those nations. So I want, I, want you to be, I want you to follow me. He's, there's 10 nations that rise up, we create a one unified government system. Then an 11th leader shows up on the scene and he subdues three out of the 10 nations. He takes power over those. This is the first time the world will be able to point at somebody and say, that's the Antichrist. So then after this takes place, now you have 10 nations, but seven leaders. Okay, does that make sense? So now I want us to reread that again so that you can understand the weight and the power and the accuracy of God's word. Revelation 13, verse one. Then I saw a beast with 10 horns and seven heads rising out of the sea. There were 10 royal crowns on its horns and blasphemous names. The 10 nations were still represented but three of them give their power over to one leader. That one leader is the Antichrist. So now you see 10 nations represented by seven leaders. And if you need one more scripture 
to prove that this is 100% talking about 10 kings and 10 nations. In Revelation 17, there is a detailed explanation that the angel of God gives John about this beast. In Revelation 17, 12 to 13, the 10 horns you saw are 10 kings. Boom. No more guessing. The 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but will receive one hour of authority as kings along with the beast. These kings have one purpose, to yield their power and their authority to the beast. So this is the heart of what I want you to understand. This is what will happen. This will happen in the world. Without doubt, this will happen. There will be a 10-nation unified government system that rises up. I could give you some guesses on what I think they would be based off some things in scripture, and maybe I'll do that in a podcast at some point. But the reality of it is, and the truth is, we do not know which 10 nations will rise up and unite together. We do not know whether they will be connected together by land or they'll be connected together by government thought process or they'll be connected together by religion or they'll be connected together by a government philosophy. We'd have, we don't know that's not in scripture. That's not in scripture. So anybody that gives you, it will be this and that, tell them, thank you for inventing things that are not written in scripture because we do not know. There are some educated guesses that's, that's not necessarily unhealthy to, to have those conversations, but the one thing that we know for sure and the one thing that God went out of his way to give us in the book of Daniel, in the times of Jesus, and then in the Reve book of Revelation is that there will be, at some point in history, there will be a 10-nation unified government system that will rise up. The first 10 kings or the first 10 rulers over those nations, none of them are the Antichrist. There is an 11th man standing behind these 10 nations, probably in the shadows, that then comes onto the scene and three of those nations give him power. Now you have 10 nations with seven leaders. One of them rules the, uh, the economy and the military of three of those nations. Then at another point later, the other seven nations submit rule and power to the Antichrist. So by the end, all 10 nations who unify together and have this government system together give all of their power to this one leader, and now you've got one man who is deeply evil and deeply wicked controlling 10 nations over the course of the earth, controls all of their economic strength, all of their resource strength, and all of their military power and he will be a force to be reckoned with. So this is, this is the literal rise of the Antichrist. It will be first a 10-nation government, and then he'll take over three countries, and then eventually all the other seven countries and all 10 nations will give him rule, and he will become king, dictator, ruler over those 10 nations and rule their uh, economics, their resources, uh, and their military strength as one massive nation in the world will have deep fear of him. But he's still not the world leader. He's just an extremely powerful leader. Then the Bible gives us distinct detail on what happens and what propels him to worldwide leadership. So the Bible goes on in Revelation 13, verse 3, after giving us the details of this government, 10-nation uh, uni unified government system, it says, then one of the heads of the beast 
appeared to be mortally wounded, but the mortal wound was healed and the whole world marveled and followed the beast. So this one world, this, I mean, this, this, this world leader who takes over 10 nations and is ruling them has some type of situation, some type of either an accident, we don't know, or an assassination attempt, we don't know, or it happens in battle and war, we don't know. We don't know what happens to him. All we know is that something happens to him and it's a mortal wound, it, he should have died, or maybe it even appears that he does die, but that he recovers and that he's healed. And this is such an epic event that the entire world, when they see this man, uh, maybe even be killed in a public way or receive a mortal wound, but then he recovers and he's healed, it creates a, a, almost a mystical awe uh, in the world and there is a reverence for him uh, and they just stand kind of in fear of him uh, and they view him as something different, more than just a world leader. What even happens even more than that, and we get this, it says that they begin, and this is so important that you hear this. This is so important that you see this and you understand this. They don't begin to worship him first. This is very important. They worshiped the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Let's say it all together on three. One, two, three. Satan. The dragon is Satan. They begin to worship the dragon who had given him authority, who had given authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can wage war against it? So I want you to understand, the reason this is so important is because as he is rising to power, and as he's taking over these nations, first the three and then the 10, and he's using his economic power and his resource power and his military strength, and then as he goes through whatever wound he receives, whatever mortal wound that he receives and is healed from it, he is crediting a God for all of it. Now, I don't know whether he's gonna call him Satan. I doubt it. But the entire rise of his power and all of his might and all of his strength and all of his authority and this miraculous healing, this seemingly miraculous healing, he is going to point to another God and the world is gonna be so overtaken by his rise to power and by his military might and by this mortal wound being healed that they're actually gonna to begin to worship his God who we know is, go is Satan, whether they know that or not is, is to be debated, but we know that when they, this world leader rises, the world becomes enamored with him uh, just overwhelmed with him, especially after the mortal wound, that they begin to call his God, God. And then it says very specifically, they also begin to worship him, adore him, chase after him, saying, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him? So his, 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 his rise to power is gonna be one that is gonna be followed by a religious God. There's gonna be a religious connection to him. His military power is gonna be so strong and he's gonna be exercising it and the whole world is gonna fear him significantly and instead of wanting to battle him, they just wanna join him because it, it, it is whatever he's doing and we'll find out more next week, but whatever he's doing and the way that he's leading, the things that he's doing, they are enamored by him and they believe, they believe that he truly is of God and maybe God at this point because he doesn't quite declare himself God till later. 
but they, they are enamored by him and they begin to, to call on his God as their God and they begin to worship him and they fear him and instead of fighting him or going against him, the whole world is going to want to join him. So this is the, 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 the reality. The reality of it is, is that all of the world governments are going to be heading in this type of direction and there's nothing we can do about it. And 20 years ago, the reason why people struggled the revelation, especially Americans in 20 years ago, because we were the, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but that's shifted a little, right? That's changed a little bit. And, 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 and the idea of, of, of total government control, that is what is gonna seep into every nation and every country on the world. And I'm confident that it will also happen to this nation. And there is not enough people to stop it. It, it can't be stopped. This is the direction things are gonna go. This is the direction the world's gonna go. This is the direction governments are gonna go. This is, this is what it is. This is happening, it's been happening, and it will continue to happen. And there's, I know that we like to, and I just, I don't wanna offend everybody, but just, I know that we like to just think like, man, we, we revolted against the British 250 years ago. We can rule the world. No, we cannot. Can't happen. Mel Gibson is a great actor, and that was a great movie, and The Swamp Fox was awesome, right? I told my son and my daughter that story the other day. I, I, I love it. I love that I'm an American. I love that I'm from America, but I need you to understand there is no covenant with our country. There's only one covenant, and it is with Israel. So I need you to understand what the Bible teaches is that every nation on the earth eventually goes to war against Israel and against God. That means including our own. And I know that that hits deep. And I know that there's some people who think that the cross and the American flag are equal in the same thing. They are not. That is nationalism. And before you are an American or a Republican or a Democrat or any other form of government, you are a Christian and a Christ follower. And that means that scripture goes above and beyond any other thing. And the reason why this is so important that we understand this is because what the Bible actually teaches is that Satan's rule, it comes through the government. Why? Why? Because in our minds, sometimes we view Satan almost as an, as an anti but equal to God, and he's not. Satan is nothing compared to God, nothing. He's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he's not everywhere at once, and he doesn't know what you're thinking. The truth is, and I don't wanna hurt any of our feelings, but none of us are important enough to get Satan's attention. You, Satan's never stopped you from getting a parking spot at the Publix, okay? <laughs> and he's never broken down your car. Satan is not God. He's not all-powerful. He is very powerful, but he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He can't be more than one place at once. The way that he has always operated, what we see in Scripture is there is, yes, there is the spiritual, there's the temptation, there is demonic forces are real. Possession is a real thing, but Christians 100% cannot be possessed at all because the Spirit of the living God is in you, okay? Anybody teaches you otherwise, don't listen to them ever again. Go somewhere else, okay? What the Bible actually teaches 
is that Satan continually, even in the Old Testament, continually influences governments and leaders. In the book of Revelation, when it taught, in the letters to the churches, that's not futuristic, that was in that moment to teach us how Jesus leads and manages his church, he says that in a few days, Satan is gonna throw you in jail. Now, does Satan physically go and throw them in jail? No, what does? The government does. Satan will ultimately take control of deeply influenced people. If you want a, a look, and you can go and study the history here, I, I encourage you to do it. If you want to go and look and see a, a prototype of what is going to happen, it's going to be Germany, the rise of Nazism, Adolf Hitler. He was deeply demon-possessed, significantly. If you study any of the history around that, his own people, that close to them, they believe that. He was obsessed with the cult. Uh, he talked about it constantly. There, there is a significant evil and hatred, obviously, towards the Jews. But that, that is the way that Satan operates. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what we have seen in, in the real world and in real life. He's going to go after governments. He's going to go after deep, influential people and leaders. This is how he is going to instate rule over the earth, is through physical governments. Does that make sense? And that is going to begin. And he's, remember, he's always been trying to do this. For the last 2,000 years, this has been his mission. He's trying to bring this about. The, the spirit of the Antichrist has always been at work, but the Thessalonians teaches us that something is restraining him. Ultimately, no matter what it is, ultimately it's God restraining him. But at the proper time, God will remove that restraint, and then he will have supreme power over the nations and over the world. This is what will happen to our, our world. This is what the direction that it's going. I, I want you to understand that. Right in the middle of this, and I wanna, I wanna keep moving on, on the Antichrist, the beast was given a mouth to speak arrogant and blasphemous words and authority to act for 42 months, and the beast opens its mouth to speak blasphemies against God, the one true God, and slander his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. So once he takes over the 10 nations, after the mortal wound is healed, and he credits Satan or his God with, with the recovery and with his power, with his might, and the world begins to go after him, he then begins to directly slander and attack the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, God the Father, and Jesus Christ. He actively goes after them, slander and blasphemy to destroy uh, the name of God, to destroy the thought of God, to destroy the name of Jesus and all that we know to be true that's found in Scripture. And then after that, after that, he is permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And it was in this moment that he's given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life belonging to the lamb who was slain. So the thing that I want you to understand is before we get to them, everything I just read to you just there in those two or three scriptures, that's happening during the tribulation. But that rise to power is happening prior to the tribulation, maybe decades earlier. We don't know. All right, but this, this is the thing that I want you to understand is the direction things will go. Governments will go towards this direction. All of them will. They all will, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. There will be a distinct hatred for Israel that will continue to grow and go. There will be, an, I believe, an even greater hatred for Jesus followers and for Christianity. 
And we are seeing that all over the world. I know that it's hard for us to understand because we still live in this amazing country, but right now, all over China, all over parts of Asia, and all over the Middle East, Christians are dying for their faith in Christ every single day. And I know that, the, I know that our media and I know that most of our, our news outlets could care less and don't ever cover things like that, but I, I want you to understand that we are one of the, the rare uh, 20 to 30% of the world that's left that is not killing Christians and is not arresting and persecuting Christians. That's happening all over the Middle East, all over China, and many other parts of the world. So I, I want you to understand that mindset is gonna continue to spread. Our country right now is becoming more and more anti-Christian by the day. And there is a thought process of Freedom of everything else for everything else except Jesus, except the followers of Jesus, and except what the Bible teaches, all right? This will continue to go this direction, and there's nothing we can do about that either except be the light of Jesus Christ and remember, remember that the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and the greatest moves of God and the greatest revivals in history, they came under the pressure of persecution. And so though none of us want to face things like that, if and when it does happen, turn your heart solely over to Jesus Christ, depend on him with every part of who you are, and the Holy Spirit will begin to move in your life and in your family's life and in this world like you have never seen. And we could, while we're seeing the fall of America and while we're seeing great persecution, we could also see the greatest revival in the history of our country. So I want you to understand that we are never hopeless. We are the only hope this hopeless world has. The problem is, is that we cower in our, our hearts and we're afraid of difficulty and we're afraid of persecution. We were built to be in a war against hell. The way that Jesus Christ gave us the birth of the church, he says, I'm gonna build my church in my ecclesia and not the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Jesus wanted you to know that Satan is not attacking you, but we are meant to attack Satan. The gates of hell stand still. He already has establishment on this word. It's us that's supposed to attack him. That's the mentality that we need to have. We could choose to be uh, cowards. We could choose to go into our little holes in our little homes and not want to stick our head in the sand and not want anything to change. Or we could look at what scripture teaches us, let the spirit of God overwhelm us, let the power of Christ rise up in us and us be and do the things that God has called us to do. That's the reality of it. He knew, he promised the disciples day one. He said, people will hate you because they hate me. He said, this will be difficult because it's difficult for me. They put me on a cross and they killed me. Don't think they're not gonna do it any less to you. But Jesus said, I promise you, if you keep putting one foot in front of the other and depend on me, the Holy Spirit will get words in your mouth when you need to speak. It will move in power and miracles. And I, Jesus said, I'm telling you, you are the light of the world. And as long as you exist in darkness, that dark world will look and be attracted to what is inside of you. So as the enemy grows stronger and stronger, and as the governments and the culture and the nation of this world drift more towards Satan, this is exactly the time and exactly the moments when the people of God need to stand up and be strong and faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen. We cannot let fear and anxiety overtake us. The spirit of the living God is in us. And Jesus said, do not fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one that can kill the soul and body in hell. All right, we are the answer and we are the hope that Jesus inside of us.
And so that, that's the heart. I, I, I want you to understand this. And I, I want to, listen, now next week, we looked at the first half of, of Revelation 13. Next week, we're gonna look at Reve the other half of Revelation 13, and we're gonna talk about a second beast, and they give even more detail in the direction of how things happen in terms of economics, how the Antichrist controls the world. I promise you do not wanna miss that. You do not wanna miss that. But I, I wanna take a second, and each week, as we go through this uh, uh, revelation, especially the next few weeks, I wanna go back and in on Matthew 24 each week because Jesus actually gives us some parables and some caution around several different things that I think are powerful. Before I do that, I, I want us to see verbatim for all the note takers. I want, I, want us, I want you to see that this is what Revelation 13 is what the Bible teaches about the rise of the Antichrist. These are the, the six points. There's a 10-nation unified government system arises. One leader assumes power over three nations. That's the first time we'll be able to say that's the Antichrist. Then he assumes power over all 10 nations. He's acknowledged and feared by the world. He wages war against God, Israel, and Christians. And then he assumes authority over the entire world. That's the rise of the Antichrist. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we focus on in the meantime? Jesus, in Matthew 24, after he teaches about the direction things will go and the atmosphere of the end times and all of the difficulties and the tension and even the, the rise of the Antichrist, he then, in the same conversation, he goes into, now, what does this mean to you and what should you focus on? And the very first one he gives us is in Matthew 24, verse 40, 45. And what's so powerful about this is this is in response to the disciples' questions about the end time and the second coming. So for Jesus, this is all the same conversation. He says, so this, with all of this happening, who then is the faithful and wise servant? So how do you be faithful and wise in this season? Whom the master has put in charge of his household to give the others their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says in his heart, my master will be away for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect at an hour he does not anticipate, then he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. So Jesus gives us four unique parables. And if you're not careful, you'll think that there are four parables teaching you the same thing, and they're not. There are four parables with four different focuses. And this first one is on people, the people in our lives. The second one is on resources, right? And so I really want you to see the heart of this. He says, who's faithful and wise? Okay, this is the direction the world's gonna go. This is, the, this is the direction governments are gonna go. This is how difficult things are gonna get, right? So how are you faithful and how are you wise in this season and in history? And the first thing he says is, he says, those who I put in charge of my household or the people in my life to take care of them and feed them at the proper time, blessed is the one 
who Jesus finds them doing this when he returns. The heart of this first parable is centered around people, the people in our lives. For husbands, this is our wife. If we're fathers, our children. Wives, this is our husbands. It's our children if we're mothers. This is our family. This is our friend group. This is our social circle. This is the people we do life with. This is the people we go to church with. This is the people that we work with. This is the people that we know. The Bible teaches that the most valuable asset, the most valuable thing in this world is the life and the soul of a person. And each of us have been entrusted with people in our lives. We have, we've been entrusted with people in our lives. You're single, you don't have kids, you're young. You have still been entrusted with people in your life. People to love, people to take care of, people to show Jesus to. And so this first parable, Jesus says, you wanna be faithful to me and you wanna be wise, then understand the value and the importance of the people in your life. The government's gonna go one way. The world is gonna go one way, the culture is gonna go one way. But no matter how difficult it gets and how hard it gets, the most important thing in your life that I've given you to manage and to hold and to love are the people in your life. Now, I just, there's something about that that calls out to me. Jesus just spends verses talking about the end of the world. And then he starts talking about being ready and the first parable he gives is about taking care of the people that he puts in your life. And so I believe without a doubt, Jesus is a lover of people. And one of the things that Jesus says would happen in the end days is that because of the wickedness and the uh, intensity and the difficulty and the chaos that the love of most will grow cold. And I think one of the beautiful things about Jesus bringing this up and bringing this out in this same conversation is to say, you don't stop loving people in your life. You don't stop taking care of them. You don't stop being a witness to them. You don't stop being a light to them. You don't stop. No matter how godless this culture gets, you remember that God has entrusted you with the souls of the people that you work with, entrusted you with the people that you're pumping gas next to, and that your love for them and your sh the light of Christ shining through your life could change their eternities forever. And so to be faithful and to be wise is to understand that people and reaching people and loving people and taking care of those people that God has given us is still one of our number one priorities no matter how difficult life gets. And so though we're gonna talk about the rise of the Antichrist and the end times, Jesus was so quick to then bring it right back down to your day-to-day -day life and goes, this is why it matters. And so I would just encourage you this week, life's gonna get harder and harder and harder. It's gonna get more difficult. But that doesn't mean that there's not peace and joy in your household if the Spirit of God is with you. And it doesn't mean that you don't go to sleep at night with a smile on your face. And it doesn't mean that you don't wake up with a mission and a purpose every single day. And it doesn't mean that you let the distractions and the wickedness of this world make your love grow cold. It's your love, the love of Christ in you that makes this world still have hope, amen? amen. 
So I love you guys with all of my heart. I'm excited about what God's doing in this series. And I'll continue to pray every day for you and for this house and for this church that his word will put a passion and a burden and a desire in us for him like we've never experienced before. Thank you for everything that you're doing to help us spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a body of Christ, amen? We do this together. I get to get up here and run my mouth, but I am one person, a part of an amazing group of believers, and I love you guys with all of my heart.